Jesuits of Canada and the United States. This is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. Today's guest, Father Andrew Laguna, is a vocation promoter in the U.S. West Jesuit province. The term vocation promoter is probably one few of us have heard before, unless, of course, we've been discerning religious life. But the term and title go back to the earliest days of the Jesuits. Early Jesuits were understandably concerned with growing the nascent Society of Jesus. One of those men was Father Jerome Nadal, one of Ignatius's early companions and a key architect in the development of the Jesuit identity. Here, I quote from Father John O'Malley's classic text, The First Jesuits. Quote, The Jesuits did not passively wait for young men to knock on their doors. By 1562, Nadal rather expected each community to have a promoter who would be especially charged with keeping his eyes open for likely candidates and guiding those who came seeking. He stressed that every Jesuit needed to do his part to see that as many as possible of the very best entered the society. Although Jesuits were to respect the freedom of the inquirer, Nadal provided a program of prayer, reading, conversation, and reflection to be used to nurture a call if it was there. In Nadal's questionnaire and the autobiographical accounts that survive, Jesuits mentioned being attracted specifically to the society over other orders by the Jesuits' cheerfulness, refinement, and graciousness. End quote. There are a few points in O'Malley's text that I think are particularly relevant to us today. First, Father Arturo Sosa, the Superior General of the Society of Jesus, has challenged us all to build up a culture of vocation. What does that mean? Sure, more Jesuits invite more young men to join the society, but it also means we all become more aware and appreciative of our own unique vocations. Second, Pope Francis has often called on us to be joyful in the living out of our Christian vocation. Are we? Is joy a word people use to describe us in our daily lives? As you listen to Father Laguna today talk about the work of vocation promotion, reflect on his own vocation, and share stories of Jesuit life, I think you'll glimpse some of these points, a culture in which vocation is celebrated and joy is paramount. I think, too, as you listen to Father Laguna, you'll quickly learn that the work of a vocation promoter is not the same as the work of a salesperson or a recruiter. Rather, a vocation promoter in 2022 is exactly that, someone who helps people of all sorts discover who God has invited them to be. If you would like to get in touch with a vocation promoter, head over to beajesuit.org. Now, here's Father Laguna. Andrew Laguna, welcome to AMDG. Thanks for having me, Eric. It's good to be yeah. here. Good to have you, man. So I want to start our conversation in a very maybe peculiar place. You and I together uh, were responsible for manning the booth at the Ignatian Family Teaching for Justice this past year. And we got talking about uh, like ways we find God in pop culture, reading, movies, films. So... What are you uh, watching right now or what are you reading right now that might be uh, a good way for people to find God? Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, I would say uh, very recently it's been kind of busy, so I haven't been able to see a lot of more uh, current things. But 
as you know from my advent reflection in your <laughs> series, uh, I'm a huge fan of the show Survivor, uh, which if you haven't heard of this show, uh, definitely check it out. It's been on since 2000. Uh, I think where, where have you been if you haven't heard of this show? What have you been doing? <laughs> I mean, they're about to start season 42. So I'd be, I'd be amazed if you haven't at least heard of it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I started watching it when I was a kid. Uh, and then I took a huge break, didn't watch it for years. And then uh, since like five or six years ago, I got back into it. And, uh, you know, I don't know if everyone could find God in this show, but uh, I was writing this reflection for you that uh, for me, it's such a show about like resilience and a show about like overcoming personal obstacles. And uh, I love how in reality TV, uh, obviously there's some production value there, but I, I feel like you get to meet like real people in a way and hear their stories. And uh, for me, finding God is always about uh, people's stories, right? How do you see God at work uh, in their lives? And yeah, I see it. I see it in that show a lot. Do you find that um like an awareness of pop culture is something like very jesuit like are you a lot of a lot of the guys in your community talking about pop culture or is this an entry point for you as a vocation promoter oh totally i well i what i love about jesuits and what really drew me to the order originally is that uh we're such real down-to-earth people like i uh, I mean, we, we talk about shows you watch all the time, you know, at table or, or guys are really are always reading, reading the newspaper, reading, reading, whatever. And so there is a sense of connectedness that a lot of Jesuits have. Uh, just yesterday, I was uh, at a high school with a brother Jesuit and we were talking about vocations and he brought up Shang-Chi and he connected that uh, to and Marvel. He connected that to like his vocation story and uh yeah, it was fun. The kids were like totally into it. So uh, it's definitely a great entry point uh, for vocations, but just, I think, ministry in general. I think, you know, when we look historically at the society, um, there was never a, uh, like, like turning away from the world, right? Or, a, or a, uh, like, like Jesuits were never in monasteries, which was a big thing when, like, when Ignatius was trying to start an order, right? Um and and in fact, like Jesuits dove right into the center of culture um, as educators so early on. Um, like, uh, like, why do you think that's important now? As uh, this like entry, this deepening with deepening entry into culture um, for Jesuits and for just like the state of our our you know religious selves. Yeah, uh, it's a good question. I Ignatius from the very beginning was always passionate about helping souls, right? Helping souls. And I think uh, for him, a lot of that meant meeting people where they're at. Uh, you know, back in his day, there was a huge need for uh, education, uh, catechesis. And that's why Jesuits founded schools all over the place. Uh, he, th there was this desire to, to share the gospel with people who hadn't heard it before. So Francis Xavier, right, goes to India and Japan. Uh, and I really feel that's still true today in the sense uh, people, especially after having gone through this pandemic, uh, living in a society where we are increasingly fragmented from each other, where people feel uh, far from God sometimes, I think Ignatius would want us to meet people where they're at, which 
uh, it's not just in the cities, but I think uh, engaging the culture, engaging what's happening in the world, what what is really on people's hearts, like what what they're desiring. I, I think having a, a knowledge of that is really important uh, in our ministry. You mentioned the pandemic and like the uniqueness of of meeting people where they are in this moment. Um, and you as a new-ishly ordained priest, you know, really like that first year straddled the pandemic, right? You're ordained in 2019 um, and you took your current assignment as a vocation promoter in 2020 in an entirely different world. Um, how has that been like from a pastoral perspective as you try to, again, like embody this mission of the Jesuits, which is to like go deep into the heart of humanity? It's definitely been a challenge. And and I feel like the pandemic is this reality that's changing all the time. And we've gone through these different phases, these ups and downs. Uh, and so I feel like a really important tool uh, that I use, and I know a lot of Jesuits uh, we've talked about, is, is discernment, right? I think when the pandemic first happened almost two years ago and we were locked down, I think there was a kind of shock, right, it, for all of us. It, it was very surprising it caught us off guard and it takes time to really get a sense of what are the needs of people uh, and i think at the very beginning it was okay how do we stay connected so there were all these uh zoom retreats zoom gatherings uh all these ways to connect uh even if we couldn't be together physically uh, and i think now that's changing a little i i, I think people are kind of tired of zoom and i don't know if, if folks are you know packing those Zoom retreats as much anymore. Uh, and so it's a continual discernment and listening uh, to what what is it that people really need. And I think for me that it's also paying attention to myself, like what do I need? You know, like what, uh, and, and how can I accompany people in this changing, uh, changing world that we're living? Do you think there's something uh, unique within the formation of a Jesuit that prepares you to respond to, to crises. You know, the pandemic is the most obvious, but, you know, it's not the only crisis in the world today. So what, what would you point to in your own formation that, uh, you know, gives you the ability to stay grounded and also responsive? I would say for me, uh, my formation has taught me adaptability, uh, as information, you don't you don't really stay in any one place for more than two or three years. And even within that time, sometimes you're having different kinds of experiences. Uh, and so I could go from teaching and being in a high school and being super invested there uh, to going back to studies, right? To uh, going on some kind of immersion trip or to serving people who are, uh, who are marginalized in some way. And in my formation, while that was hard sometimes, it really helped me to learn how to stay grounded in prayer, how to stay grounded in, in my vocation, in, in my friendships, in my community. And I think those same skills were really active when the pandemic hit too of, okay, everything's changing. There's, there's a lot of instability right now. Uh, and how can I go back to the basics of, of what I've learned of staying grounded in prayer, of staying connected to community uh, as we navigate and discern where to go next? 
Yeah, I, I like the idea of adaptability. And it strikes me that, you know, St. Ignatius and the early Jesuits had this very uh, firm structure, right, of how the society was supposed to function. The exercises themselves have all these rules and annotations and points. And yet, um, at least my experience has been that the you know, one of the key aspects of Ignatian spirituality is flexibility so as to meet people where they are, right? Do you, do you find, I, I mean, imagine the exercises being at the heart of, of the society of Jesus um, really like spills over that into that adaptability with information, right? Yeah, I, it, you're totally right. I, Ignatius, when he wrote the exercises, when he wrote the constitutions, he always left room for, for things to be adapted, for things to be flexible, right? There, there's kind of a general rule, a general way of approaching things. And then he adds a little annotation. Well, if this doesn't work, do whatever is best, <laughs> right? And, which, is, which is really cool, especially for during that time when it was, from a church perspective, a little more rigid. Uh, he really allowed space for the spirit to move and for Jesuits to discern how God was working in a particular circumstance. Uh, I think that does get to what Jesuits always say, kind of our motto, uh, God in all things, right? That uh, And that we can't be limited by what has happened in the past, that God is working in in really new ways. I think especially right now, I think especially as our church emerges uh, from this situation, whatever that's going to look like, we have to be super attentive to uh, how God is working now in, in new ways. When you are talking with, um, you know, guys that are thinking about becoming a Jesuit or, or even just like, you know, beginning the, the process, what what surprises you most uh, in those conversations? Is there something um, like new that you learn or new perspectives you get on your own life as a Jesuit or, or your own spirituality? As a promoter, I it's such a blessing to be able to accompany guys who are, are really discerning what is God's path for them in life. And I feel like I have uh, a lot of the time a front row seat to, to what God is doing. Uh, and it's a real privilege. And I, I think for me, uh, a great gift is to see that people are still being called, right? God is still working, uh, even in a society that's more secular, in, uh, in a time that says, chaotic as, as ours right now, uh, people are feeling the stirring of that spirit and they're feeling a desire uh, to give it themselves and service in, in a way that is is really meaningful and, and they're desiring God. And so it's just, for me, it's it's a reminder of how, how strongly God is still with us and wanting to, uh, wanting people to labor with Christ in the vineyard. And, and what's also great about my job is you know, a lot of the guys who I accompany maybe don't end up becoming Jesuits. And so I, I've really had to change my focus of like, I'm not, I'm not a recruiter, right? I'm not trying to enlist people like to this group. I am, I'm trying to help people find their path to God. And if society of Jesus is part of that path, great. Uh, but if not, there's a lot of consolation in knowing that people have a better sense of, of how God is calling them to meet the needs of our time. I think it's beautiful. And, um, I want to ask you, because you're describing, obviously, you're a, a quote-unquote vocation promoter for the Jesuits, so there is a degree of, you know, inviting people to join the society. But what you also just described is this larger, how am I helping people discover who God is 
inviting them to become. So how, how would you define or how do you talk about vocation writ large? Yeah, I, uh, I kind of have my standard spiel. <laughs> so, uh, this is, I feel like I say this a lot, uh, but I, I mean, I, I really, I, I do, I love that traditional definition of a vocation is a calling from God, right? That's where the word comes from, vocare. Uh, and, uh, but there's this great article written by Mike Himes from BC a long time ago. And he says, a vocation, uh, your vocation will look at, uh, it, it's looking at an answer to three questions. Um, first question is, what brings you joy? What brings you deep joy, more than just superficial happiness, but what really like feeds your soul in, in that more profound sense? Uh, two, what are you good at? What are your your gifts, your skills? Uh, what are your God-given talents uh, that you have? Whether it's, maybe it's public speaking, maybe it's you're really good with your hands, maybe uh, you're a good leader, whatever it is, what is that gift? And then the third question is, what does the world need? Because our vocation is not just about ourselves and our own fulfillment, but it's about, okay, what, how, how am I serving the greater human community? Uh, so I, I love framing vocation in that way because I feel like it covers all the most important elements. Uh, what brings you joy? What are you good at? What does the world need? And especially for young people, I, I find, uh, you know, we I speak a lot at, at high schools and obviously, you know, they're too young to be Jesuits, but... I think for anyone at that age to begin thinking about that uh, is really important because I think we always have a lot of things vying for our attention uh, in pop culture, in secular culture, and but to be more reflective about, okay, what brings me joy? What am I good at? What does the world need? I feel like that can really help focus our own growth uh, and, and development, you know, especially if you're, you're a young person. Yeah, uh, I, I like the idea of because um, it feels very Ignatian, a vocation is both going to fuel and fill our us. It's it's you know it's it's helpful to us. It's it's based on our experience, you know, or or rooted in our um in our desires and and emotions. But then ultimately, it's going to then f fuel and fill the world. And at the center of that is God, right? Um, so I like that a lot. Uh, what do you find as you're having these conversations? Um, what, what's drawing people uh, uniquely to the Jesuits or Ignatian spirituality? Yeah, I think uh, with every guy, it's different because I think guys know us in different ways. Some went to a Jesuit school, some just Google us online and that's how they found us and they, they stumbled upon the website. Uh, so I, I, I think kind of initially what draws folks in general uh, is like what we do, right? Like they they read about Greg Boyle and all the work he's doing with Homeboy Industries in LA. They read about things we're doing in schools or or on the border with migrants. Uh, and it is it is very inspiring stuff. But but I find when when guys come to our events, when they actually meet Jesuits, when they do a retreat with us, I think what also continues to draw them on a deeper level is our spirituality, right? How uh, each Jesuit, uh, first and foremost, has this friendship with Christ, right? That is sustaining, that animates us in all we do. That really is the source of of that outward ministry. Uh, so ultimately, and what we want to see too as promoters, that people are drawn to that desire for God, that relationship with Christ. But, but I do feel like, uh, and I'm very proud to say, we have a lot of uh, Jesuit brothers who are just 
really engaged in the world and doing great things that, uh, yeah, that, that are helping people. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Talk a little bit about, um, what drew you, how, what, what was it about society of Jesus that you said, yeah, this is for me. Yeah. You know, I, I went to a public school all my life, so I, uh, never went to a Jesuit institution and, uh, but, but I was really lucky. I, I was part of a very vibrant parish in Chino Hills, California, uh, St. Paul the Apostle, and uh, had great catechism, a great confirmation program. Uh, and so I already had this like relationship with God uh, from, from that. And I got very involved in uh, retreat ministry. So we would, as part of this group, we would go and uh, put on retreats for confirmation students similar to a Kairos type retreat uh, where, you know, there'd be talks and small groups and really helping people to experience God in their life. Uh, and so I was doing this all along while I was pre-med. Uh, I wanted to be a, a doctor ever since I was in middle school. My mom, my mom's a nurse, so she was always an influence on me uh, to go into healthcare. And so I was going to UC Irvine uh, here in Southern California and I was pre-med, I was very competitive, very kind of high achieving student. Uh, and I got to a point in my, in my third year of college where uh, I was able to do this internship at a hospital in the ER. And it was great on one level, it was super exciting. I could work with doctors as they uh, were treating patients. I could be like a fly on the wall and observe them and talk to them afterwards. But halfway through that, I, I realized that I don't think this is for me. Uh, I had this desire to really uh, care for people that kind of went beyond what doctors did. Like I wanted to ask them, like, do you have support? You know, like, how, how's your spiritual life? Like I wanted to pray with them. You know, I, I felt this kind of deeper desire to connect with people. And so I got kind of um, turned off from medicine a little bit. And I, and I went through this crisis of, of what, uh, what is it that I want to do? Uh, and when I looked back on my life, I, I didn't have any like discernment tools at that point. I was very uh, unformed, but I realized the part of my life that was giving me the most fulfillment and peace and joy uh, was this retreat ministry I was a part of. Uh, and uh, I thought, you know, I think there's something there. I think there's something that is stirring. Maybe, maybe it's priesthood. It was a very gradual uh, realization. And around the same time, uh, I met a Jesuit. So uh, I had already known this priest. Uh, he was at UC Irvine since my freshman year, but I assumed he was Dawson. And when uh, I was having a conversation with him one time and I shared, yeah, like I'm kind of thinking about priesthood, but I have no idea what kind of priest. I'm just, I'm a little lost. I don't know where to go from here. And he, he goes, have you heard of the Jesuits? Um, and just, I, I think it honestly felt like Ignatius spirituality, Jesuit spirituality was something I was already living. Uh, this, like through him learning about finding God in all things and and really this like desire uh, to be on mission, uh, that really resonated with me, how Jesuits were, were always going to where the need was greatest and were doing things for the greater glory of God. Like, like hearing all that for the first time, I think for some, uh, you know, some people learn that since their freshman year of high school, right? It's kind of like, uh, gets kind of commonplace, but when I was a senior in college and I heard all these things, AMDG, finding out all things, I was like, yes, like this is for me. I, I felt like it was uh, like I had to come home spiritually. And so 
yeah, that was really what did it. And, and through him, I met other Jesuits, went to a sermon retreat, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Here I am. <laughs> Here you are now on this podcast, the the pinnacle of your vocational I, I, career. I think so. I yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't know what's going to happen afterwards. But this is here. a high point for sure. <laughs> so you mentioned the allure of mission, uh, and why that was. You know, you, you found that very you know attractive in this conversation you had, kind of in your vocational discernment. And I know you've been you've done very literal kind of mission oriented you know aspects in your own formation and now you're in your vocation promoter which which might feel the opposite and yet there's a a common thread of mission through it all so can you reflect a little bit on how you keep that jesuit uh you know ideal of mission front and center you know regardless of where you are and, and maybe give us a few examples yeah, definitely. Uh, what I'm doing now is very different from what I was doing uh, when I first got ordained uh, and I was working at a parish. Uh, yeah, I, I really do. Th I mean, when we when we think of mission, we think of very uh, stereotypical, like, I guess, missionary type things like going to uh, an area uh, where there's a lot of need, you know, and being present there somewhere far away, you know, somewhere abroad. Uh, but I really I really do think of mission in a much broader sense uh, and really in this job. I mean, I, I could be doing so many different things. I could be leading a retreat one weekend. I could be visiting a high school. Some days I'm just on my computer all day answering emails or coordinating things uh, or talking to people. And, uh, and so for me, mission does take on different forms now. And, and, and really, uh, this is the thing I'm learning in this job, which which has me traveling a lot, which is not it's not super structured like a regular nine to five uh, job in a school is every morning uh, when I pray, I, I I really ask God, like, OK, God, help me to be present to the people you want me to be present with today. Like, help me to give myself fully uh, to whatever it is is happening. Like sometimes I know sometimes there's a plan, right? Like, oh, I'm going to talk to Eric Clayton, you know, about being a podcast or I'm going to go meet this person. Uh, but sometimes there's stuff that happens that's unplanned. And so uh, I think for me, mission is really just giving up myself and being open to how the spirit is leading me in that day. Uh, and that's actually really challenging for me. It, it's kind of nice when there's like a set job. Okay, I'm going to go teach this class. I'm going to go celebrate this mass. Uh, and so this 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 current mission is really stretching me to be open uh but it's good like sometimes there are things unexpectedly that happen like a, a a conversation or some kind of opportunity where i know like okay god is here and god wants me to be here right now and so uh for me it's about being present to whatever the need is in the moment and, and allowing god to to work through you in that moment do you um have any stories i'm thinking of something you you, you shared at the teaching um where you part of your formation uh, did have a very kind of mission oriented, you know, in the stereotypical uh, sense uh, to it. Can you tell that story? Yeah, this was a really powerful experience. So in, in 2012, uh, I was part of a group of Jesuits and we uh, kind of the grace we wanted out of the experience was to really learn and understand and get to know a little bit uh, the situation of of migrants who come to our country from Latin America. So this is organized by 
uh, a Jesuit, Alejandro Olayo, who has since gotten his doctorate at Oxford and is now working at BC. But he he organized us and he had contacts in Latin America. And, and basically, we, we, we tried to walk uh, the path that the migrants walked, starting from when they left their countries of origin in Latin America. So we started in Honduras, and then we made our way through El Salvador, Guatemala, uh, and then we entered into Mexico. And we, we actually stayed at uh, the shelters that migrants stayed at along the way and were with them. Uh, and so we traveled all throughout Mexico, and then we stopped at the border. Uh, so we were in El Paso, and then our last stop was at Nogales at Kino Border Initiative in Arizona. Uh, and uh, we, it was five weeks in total, uh, the whole journey. And yeah, that was definitely, uh, I guess, I mean, that in a way that was a mission, like it was like a summer assignment. But but for me, it wasn't so much about doing that mission. It was about receiving and learning and just accompanying and being present. Like we weren't, uh, it wasn't like we weren't doing things for these migrants. We were just really uh accompanying them and, and, and being with them. And, uh, and that in itself was a huge privilege, a huge honor. Uh, and, and I just remember, uh, we listened to so many stories. Like I just learned so much about, uh, why is it that, that migrants leave, uh, their countries, you know, they're, they're not going on vacation, right? There are real factors that, that push them out. Uh, and what is the experience like along the way, which is, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of suffering. And it was, it was hard. Uh, it was hard. It was, uh, if you're familiar with exercises language, it, it was very much a third week experience, right? Of feeling like you're at the foot of the cross and seeing uh, and seeing the suffering that the migrants go through. Uh, but at the same time, there was also a lot of joy, surprisingly. Like I remember at one point we were in Saltillo in the shelter and there were like a hundred migrants in the shelter and there were a few of us Jesuits. And, and one night, uh, there was like a speaker uh, and someone had like YouTube or something and we were uh, singing karaoke. <laughs> we had this karaoke night and uh, the the migrants were like singing their favorite songs in Spanish. And then at one point, like we were singing our songs and like, we sang Country Roads, like kind of our, our karaoke classics. And like we were all just laughing and there was just a sense of even in the midst of a lot of sadness of real connection and joy uh, and in a real sense of faith, like deep faith and trust in the migrants. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, it's almost 10 years later and still, if anything, the situation's gotten worse, right? With, with immigration and, and the, the state of migrants and refugees. So it's, it's an experience that continues to inform me and continues to, to ground me right in the needs, in the needs of the time. So it was, yeah, just a really powerful experience. I'm struck by um, in that story, and and then even your description of your kind of day to day as a vocation promoter, um, like the importance of a disposition of availability, and just being um, there to to be with people and and be however they need you to be. Do you have any like spiritual practices that you might encourage listeners to? Uh, you know, to, to try to cultivate that disposition of availability? Because it seems so crucial, really, in any vocation, but particularly in, in yours. Yeah, I, uh, it's something I'm definitely still <laughs> learning and growing in. So, uh, but, but something that I've found, uh, 
you know, we have this great ideal of availability and throughout my formation, I've learned about myself personally that what holds me back a lot of the times is, is fear or, or lack of trust. Like someone, if someone asks me to do something or I'm asked to pray about a possibility, uh, what holds me back is my thought, like, I can't do this, or, or this is beyond my per, like, this is not what I'm trained for, or, uh, and, and over time, like, I've, I've realized God is always going to give me what I need, and that I can trust in God. Uh, like, I, I never thought I would ever teach, you know, be in front of a classroom. I never thought I would coach running. Uh, I never thought I would uh, study the things that I studied. And, and I did, you know, and I did them at least decently, you know? So uh, I think, I think with availability, if, if you're desiring that more in your life to cultivate that spirit of trust, that spirit of letting God uh, really provide you whatever it is that you need and, and looking at what are those things that hold you back? Like, are those, sometimes there is a legitimate, like, you know, this is beyond my skill level. And just to be honest about that, but uh, sometimes for me, it's, it's, it's really fear and it's the voice of a different spirit uh, and so to really learn to be discerning about what what is God really inviting you to and and what are the gifts God wants you to use and uh, following that voice instead of the voice that that wants to hold us back, the voice that talks about your insecurities or your fears or or your deficits and uh, and not not feeding that that spirit as much. Nice. Well said. Last question. Um, you know, as you think about yourself as a Jesuit in 2022, right? Um, is there any particular moment in the history of the society uh, that you look back to and are particularly inspired by or see an important parallel between then and now? Um, anything that, that, you know, just uses, you use as a touchstone in your own uh, life as a Jesuit? Yeah, I, I continually, uh, speaking about availability and trust, uh, I, I really love like the first part of society's history, like the, the first, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, there's this great book called The First Jesuits. Uh, I don't know if you've read it. Oh, do you have it right there? Yes. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> O'Malley is so, so good. Uh, and I remember reading that as a novice and feeling really inspired and I actually just reread it uh, last summer as part of this kind of to prepare me for this job, just to remind myself. Uh, and I, I just feel like there was this such great openness and trust in the spirit and this boldness of the first Jesuits, right? They were very, um, they were just like trying new things all the time. They're like, okay, we're going to go here, start this school, but they didn't, they didn't lay down roots and just know they're like, okay, we'll start the school and then we'll go here and do something else. Like there, there, there was this uh, kind of enterprising spirit that I think was just a testament to their, uh, their prayer and their, their closest to God. And I, I really feel, uh, I pray for myself and my vocation. I pray for us in the society in general that we can continue to cultivate that spirit. Like I, uh, we've done a lot of great things to society. And I think sometimes the temptation is to kind of rest in our laurels a little bit to be like, Oh yeah, we have these great institutions. Uh, but, and, and it's, it's a good thing, but how can we be open to the new ways in which God is calling us? Right. Cause the church, uh, the church is changing, the world is changing and there are new needs. And so I, I ask God for that 
can I have that same trust, that same openness of the spirit? Uh, and, and I'm really inspired by, by how the first Jesuits did that. Perfect. Well, Andrew, thank you for joining us on AMDG. Thanks for having me. This is my first podcast ever, by the way. So A plus, A plus. Again, top of the mountain. Where are you going to go? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to, this is my, my peak <laughs> experience, I think. So thanks, man. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C., and occasionally in my basement. This episode was edited by me, Eric Clayton, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Mike Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits at Jesuits.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Get weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know would like to learn more about becoming a Jesuit or Jesuit life in general, connect with your local vocations promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And as St. Ignatius may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>